you know, there's fine lines to walk. You want to be compassionate, but you also have to be an advocate. And I think that is true in sales. Right. I talk all the time about how you sometimes have to push people off the fence of indecision that they it's it's like when you're shopping with your mom and she's like, I don't know, it's too expensive. I don't think I should get it. And you're like, Mom, please just buy it. Come on. Like, don't be ridiculous. Treat yourself. Well, in this case, oftentimes it's well, don't treat yourself. It's you need this. You deserve it. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the daring Andrea Waltz. Andrea Waltz is the co-founder of Courage Crafters Incorporated and co-author of the best-selling book, Go for No. Yes is the destination, no is how you get there. For almost two decades, Andrea has been teaching people in virtually every business and industry how to think and feel differently about failure, rejection, and the word no to achieve their goals and dreams. A member of one of the highest regarded professional groups of women in sales, Women Sales Pros, Andrea is considered a top sales influencer online, featured on lists curated by HubSpot, Salesforce, LiveHive, and many others. Her book, Go For No, reached number one on Amazon's sales and sellings list in 2010 and has remained in the top 50 of sales books for the last 11 years. The Go For No strategy has been featured in online and offline magazines and journals, including Success Magazine, Inc., Forbes, and many others. Today, Go For No is a well-known methodology in the world of sales and is widely recognized as the singular best program that deals with rejection in business. Why, hello, Andrea. What do small business owners need to focus on this week? Annie, good morning. It is going to sound really weird when I say this, but they need to start hearing no more often. Uh Uh-uh. No, thank you. I'm going to start your interview saying no to you. I don't want to hear no more often. I spent all week trying to avoid no. No, just kidding. Like, I I know that no has value, but I will admit to the world that, like, I think many of us, I am an extremely no-avoidant person. I think I've gotten better at it, uh, but not much. So tell me more. Why should I seek out the no? Why should I embrace the no? What what is the verb I should do with the great no? Right, right. Well, you're not, listen, you're not alone. Most of us, we've all been taught and trained to avoid failure and rejection um, and to seek success. Uh, the go for no philosophy slash strategy um, is all about intentionally increasing the number of times that you are going to hear the word no so that you get more yeses. It's, it's actually instead yeah. of avoiding no, right, it, it is seeking out 
more no's because when you do that, and this is the subtitle of our book, by the way, it's it's um, yes is the destination, but no is how you get there. Amen. So, right? It's it, it's a it's a positive. It's it's taking a negative reality, which is the rejection, the no's are out there, and making it into a positive, so that you don't avoid rejection. But listen, we all do it. We all. Um, we all do it. It's natural. We're biologically wired in our DNA to not get rejected, right? To not get thrown out of the tribe and have to hunt right. and gather on our own. We're right. collaborative. So when that, if that happens, uh, it's very terrifying. And of course, your brain will have you sleeping under the freeway overpass in no time. Like if you get a rejection, oh, yeah. like days, days. Yes, your brain is your brain is there to protect you, and your brain is saying, "Oh, this is very bad." So small business owners. Um, in the go for no world, in the go for no philosophy, need to look for opportunities, like need to look for the moments where they get to ask the questions that drive their business and get more answers to those questions. And, and there's nothing wrong with a no, but the more you ask, the more you kind of execute on those go for no moments, the more you have the opportunity to get more yeses. That is so freaking true. And I've just never gone that extra step because one of the main, I guess, tenets of the non-sleazy sales academy is don't ask, don't get, right? Like if I'm not, if I'm just going to market and market and market and market and market forever, then I'm shouting into the void. I'm not setting myself up to receive. I'm setting myself up to burn out and I'm setting myself up to become resentful of how much work I do for no money and all of these things. And it's all because of don't ask, don't get. But I didn't actually trace it a further step back and go, oh, yeah, but we're not asking because we don't want to deal with the fact that we might be told no. Exactly. And it, and just to be clear, too, um, there's a lot of questions when I bring this up. People are like, OK, what is she talking about? Like hearing no is stupid. Nobody wants to hear more no's. And so I'm not suggesting that you just hit your head against the wall over and over and uh-huh. and you never get better. But when you go for no and you start to hear more no's, it does teach you, it gives you information. It teaches you lessons. So you can look at it and say like, wow, maybe I'm not sharing my offer correctly. Or maybe mm-hmm. I'm, I've, I'm not talking to the right people or I've got to tweak my marketing message or whatever. You learn so much when you finally start executing. As you said, you start... Um, saying, okay, I'm I'm not just going to market, market, market. I'm going to like start asking, like you market, 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 ask. ask exactly, market, 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 ask again, right? So, but I love the way that you're you're positioning all of these things as as kind of this grand experiment based on the responses that we get on our noble attempts, right? I I think that that's so totally true is one of the main things I get asked about all the time is pricing. And there's a lot of science and fun brain dorkiness about pricing. I'm the first person to also tell you that price is totally relative. So we need to focus less on our own opinion of our pricing. But there's all of this like convoluted stuff about pricing and we can prep for that. But then at the end of the day, there's going to be a point and it happens every single week on every single group call that I teach where we go, okay, well, at this point, we've done all of our due diligence and prep for pricing. Now we just have to go out and tell people the price and see how they respond to it. And that's really scary. 
But sometimes it's awesome because someone that was terrified to charge, you know, $225 an hour or whatever it may be, goes in and they say, okay, well, I really want us to work together and it's $225 an hour. And the client on the other end goes, oh, that's it? I thought it was going to be more expensive. What? We don't know until we chase the no. So I, I just think that that is so, so freaking profound and 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 sometimes the no's don't really sting too i think there's another misconception about no of like every no we get is going to be like andrea hell no you suck i would never hire you in fact i'm gonna tell the whole internet every reason i didn't hire you like i feel like we think the no is going to be just cataclysmic but i'm glad you brought that up Yeah, yeah i'm glad you brought that up because I think you're right. And typically, we've all had that really bad, painful rejection. It may have been like, it. we've all had a bad, painful, romantic rejection. We've probably all had a bad, painful business, like sale that we lost or something that we wanted really badly. And so that is always that's like a record always playing in the back of our mind that we say, I don't want to experience that pain again. That was really painful. So let me not put myself in a position to have to go through that again. And so we really kind of dangle things out. It's like we want to put hooks out in the water. We'd like people to bite on that hook, but we don't want to have to really say like, don't make me ask the question because oh, I, yeah. I don't want to have that awkward moment or I don't want I don't want to have this person upset or or say to me like what do you wait a minute what are, what are you asking me what are you talking about what are you saying you're actually trying to sell me in and, and it, there is all of this psychology especially around pricing um and around asking because we're really it's where we're the most vulnerable we're putting ourselves in a position to experience that rejection and oftentimes as you said we just build it up as it's going to be this um, it could be this horrible, painful event, like that one time, that one time at band camp, right? Oh my <laughs> so, God. Right? Um, and, and we, so we build, we build all of that up. And that's why it really takes a lot of courage and practice to keep, to put yourself in a position to experience that over and over to kind of numb yourself to know. But I, I like to say that, so go for no is not about expecting that you're going to hear no, like some people say, Oh, thank you. Thank right. You. It's, huh? it's, it's, it's it's not about expecting it, but it is about accepting it. It's part of the process. Ooh, ooh. The more you do it. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's not about expecting it, but it is about accepting it. There's the tote bag of the day, everybody. There's the tote bag of the day. That is genius, <laughs> right? That is absolutely fabulous because I've said on this show a gajillion times and to my clients and to my prospects a gajillion times, I know when you get on a phone call and you assume the no. I could tell within seconds if you got on and assumed that they're going to say no at the end of I the bet. call. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's glaringly obvious. It's the size of a billboard if you know what to listen for. Right. Mm-hmm. But I but I love, again, how you go one step further than mine. Right. Don't ask. Don't get. No is the pathway to yes. Right. It's an enhancement. I love that. It's like, OK, yes. By the way, while we're doing all of this, we have to go a step further and be like, hey, by the way, it's part of this thing, though. We can't ignore the fact that the no could happen. Right. We got to chase it, go after it, assume that we're not going to get it. But then if we do get it, be like, oh, and then move on with our lives. So how do we 
how do we and and I totally love that you brought back or you brought up these like horrible romantic and business romantic because that's what it feels like right when you have an opportunity that you really really want or a client that you really really want and they walk away it does it gives you that same cold feeling in your solar plexus like it knocks the wind out of you and so it kind of feels like business romantic right yeah but some of them are yeah. some of them are just gonna be like eh, no that's not really what I'm after and you're gonna go okay I'll make myself a sandwich like well, all right but then also I think sometimes what I'd love to get your opinion on leads that we disqualify lovingly because I think one of the other things that we do when we're trying to avoid the no is we ourselves as providers avoid saying no. Mm, huge. That's a huge issue as well. You're right. We have to get good at saying no. And GoFordo is all about disqualifying as well. It's having the courage to say, you know what, I'm not going to make this square peg fit into the round hole because right. I'm I'm feeling desperate and I'm feeling fearful. I'm feeling scared. So I'm going to, um, another little tidbit, uh, you know, a good no better than a bad yes. We've all oh taken the bad God, yeses, yes. right? And, yes. and bad yeses haunt you and they, they, they're awful, right? Yeah. We end up spending more time, more resources, more money, because, and yeah, that usually comes from that feeling of fear, feeling of uh, that that lack mentality. So when you are disqualifying, it's being able to say, you know what, not a good fit, not a good fit. And also, I love that you brought up this idea of the good no and the, or sorry, yeah, the good no and the bad yes. I think sometimes the most excruciating thing is the quick no over the long maybe. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, talk about listening to sales calls. I can also tell when the client is trying to desperately get off the phone as we all can. Right. right. And there are times where I'm like, sweetie, it's okay. Like now I'm coaching the, the buyer. I'm like, it's okay. You can just say no. It's say all no. right. You're not a fit. Say no. And then I start yelling at the prospect in my head. I'm like, also, you can see how uncomfortable they are. One of you needs to say no. Right. This was supposed to be a 20 minute discovery call. It has gone on for an hour of free coaching. And now both of you are uncomfortable. Who's going to say no first? No. Right. Just say it. It's two little letters. No. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a phenomenon that, especially in small business, we never, there's so much uncertainty and you never know what's coming around the corner. So it's yeah. kind of like take whatever you can get and worry about whether we'll deal with the, the bad fit and everything else later. So um, it's, it is just having that courage to say the yeses that I want are out there. But at the same time, you do need to make sure that you're talking to enough people and you're sharing your offer. And the more you, again, the more you do it, the more the quantities out there, the analogy I always give to people about this, about quantity is you ever hear about the actor who's, who says, uh, yeah, I, I went on an audition. Oh yeah, one. One. No, <laughs> never. Or or the writer who says, like, yeah, I sent my manuscript to one publisher or one agent. No, it yeah, never once. happens. One. Hun hundreds, thousands of auditions. Because uh, the Jillian quantity game, right? Yeah, it's the quantity game. And it's also to your point from before, every single lesson that rejection teaches you finesses your craft right so mm -hmm. I love that you brought up auditioning um I have a musical theater background and so I in my life have been on 
Nabajillion uh, auditions. And just by the logic of it, most of them I did not get. I got a lot of sure. stuff, but just by the law of, you know, math, I'm going to go. There's going to be 75 of us that look exactly like me. One of us is going to get it. The other 74 are not. Matt says Annie didn't get a lot of parts, right? And so that's true. That's just totally true. But there are so many times where I can go, you know what? I did something new in that monologue and I really, really liked it. I'm going to keep that. Or, you know what? I didn't like the way that I positioned myself that way. Or I didn't like the way that I did scene work. Or I could have done this or that. And it's not all criticism. Sometimes it's fabulous. Sometimes you're like, hey, I walked in and they were like, wow, that was incredible. But you're too short. And what that did was make me stronger. Right? Because that's yeah. the thing is we can't control every variable that might lead them to a no. Right. I am five feet tall. I if you're going to put me in a kick line, it's going to slop off at the end of the line because you have like five foot seven, five foot six, five foot seven, five foot six. Me. It screws up the visual. I can't get mad about that, nor can I grow an extra six inches. Right. If you only have a 12 week program and someone wants to feel better guaranteed by next Tuesday, you're not going to be a good fit, nor can that be something that you can control. Right. So I love and And in that aspect, you're like, wow, that person has some unrealistic expectations. I'm glad I have a 12 week program. Great. Awesome. Right. So I love that you brought up this idea of of the kind of treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom and data hanging out in and around these nodes. So do you do some kind of a, uh, like a post-mortem when you hear a no from a leader or a prospect? Um, Do you try to figure out why they said no or when they said no? What's important to track or, or analyze when it comes to hearing all of this no? I rarely get asked that question, but it's an excellent question. And more times uh, I should, and, and we all should do a failure autopsy, we like to call it. Oh, um, but it, I love it. it but it is, a, it is a postmortem because if you, if you, sometimes you don't know, right? Sometimes you just, you're not sure right. what went wrong and where that went wrong. And so those you just kind of say, have to say, okay, whatever, the quickest, the best thing you can do at that point is just kind of move on. Yeah. But if you can get some statistics where you may, maybe you're having conversations and you're running into a roadblock kind of at the same time. And you mm-hmm. can start to say, even without questioning the person, like, hey, why did you say no? Now, if you could ask just out of curiosity, I, I'm I'm doing some of my own research. This would really help me out, not for you, not for the future, but just for my own personal growth. If you could do that, that would be amazing. And I, I would, but if you can't, then at least start to do that postmortem and look at look at the quantity once you have it and say where where is where am I going wrong here? Why do I think this is happening? And what could I maybe change or do different? Um, in those moments where I think things are kind of going off the rails. Absolutely. But I want to jump all the way back to a point you were, you brought up about that pain, right? That mm-hmm. what I have found over the last 20 years, and especially I mentioned about the biology is there's a, there's only so much mind hack you can do on this. And that is that there's always going to be, I think that physical 
like there's research that shows that rejection and physical pain kind of go hand in hand. There's always going to be that physicality. I think you can get really good. You can, you can have an excellent mindset, but I don't think you can ever get rid of that physical connection. So there might, when it's a really big, important, no, I think you're always going to have to deal with that physical pain. I, it, to me, it's in my gut, but it's somewhere in that area, right from your heart all the way down to your stomach. Yeah. And that again is that biology. That's how we know it's hardwired into us. So you, the, I think the key for people is to get used to the physical feeling, try to get used to that. Um, and, but work on your mindset. Cause that is the only thing that we really can control. The physicalness will always be there. Right. Cause it's, it's hardwired into us. Exactly. Oh, yours is in your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is in like my, forearms and elbows (laughs) I don't know why it just always has like anytime I get like nasty feeling I'll start going like you can see me they can't see me but I'm like I don't know like my forearms like why am I so weird but you know to each their own yes I think also you know some of that idea of getting used to the physical could even go beyond rejection into like get used to the physical feeling of adrenaline Get used to the physical yes. feeling of cortisol, right? Like get used to the physical feeling of stage fright. Yes. And I've, I I can't remember who is out there who has said, who has talked about the idea of just in business in general of instead of fear, think of it as excitement. Yeah. It's in, instead of being terrified, think of it as how you feel when you get on a roller coaster, which is, oh my God, this is really scary, but it's an excitement, not right. a, not a fear that, you know things are not a bad fear. Well, it's scary with consent. I'm the one who sat on the damn roller coaster, right? That's a and, good point. I like that. I mean, and that's that's consent is a humongous part of my work because one of the main things I get asked over and over and over is about if selling is manipulative. And the answer is, heck yes, it is. But it's not, if done right, any more manipulative than your favorite movie. Right. Because your favorite movie is also trying to get you to feel stuff. So the question that I always go to is, are you having them feel and think things with or without their consent? Sleazy? No consent. Non-sleazy? Consent. Big deal. Right. But I think also when it comes to to the situation, it's like, well, if I put myself in this situation, then I am chasing the no. I'm going to feel the fear, but I'm going to feel the fear because I signed up for it. Like similarly, Mm -hmm. if someone is on my calendar and I feel the fear, then they're on my calendar because I made my calendar readily available, told them to click it, and told them exactly when they should sign up for a call with me, then that fear is a privilege. I love that. Yes. And that I think that's what um, this whole thing is designed to do in terms of making rejection more empowering and more like it's on it, it, it's that that it's not something happening to you you have decided that getting rejected is worth the price like you're paying you know it's it's that right. you're you've decided what the price is and the price is you're going to need to be rejected so pay it move through it experience it and when you take control of that. And as you said, you're the one who's consenting to it. I think it is empowering as opposed Mm -hmm. to um, sometimes when I run into people who kind of, they really hold on to that belief of I'm scared. I don't, I don't like to be rejected. 
people who say like, I could never be in sales because I couldn't handle a rejection. Mm-hmm. That's just a belief they've decided to hold on to. Yeah. And that they've decided to own. And I want to say like, that's not true. You've just got like, you come up with all of that. And now you love it because you own it. And it keeps you safe from, from not having to do it. Well, and also like, let's just put a PSA out there to anybody who is considering going out onto this never ending roller coaster known as self-employment, small business ownership or entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. Uh, If you are unwilling to be rejected, maybe keep your 401k in your day job. Like, because we, we get rejected constantly. I mean, in, in big ways and in small ways, like I, one of the main ways I get rejected every single day is on freaking Instagram. Like, you know, I'll, I'll put out a post that I'll think is pretty good and like kind of funny and then it'll blow up and I'll get like 97 comments. And then I'll wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and I'll be like, this is the most pro found thing that I will ever say and like I make like a gorgeous canva and I put it on Instagram not at three in the morning I looked at my analytics I decided what I should post it and I post it and I get crickets (laughs) those crickets feel like a million tiny rejections and it's just freaking Instagram right so right but that being said do you know, you said get used to the physical sensation of of because it's not going to go away. That's 100% true. The the emotional sensations, the mental sensations, the uh, imposter syndrome, the beating ourselves up self-talk, does that stuff get better with increased exposure to rejection? I believe absolutely because you really learn to value. So let me tell you a story. Um, one of the books that we wrote after Go For No was called Million Dollar a Year, Little Fable. And like all authors, I made the mistake of jumping onto Amazon one day because I love to read the reviews, right? Mm-hmm. Saw this saw this one star review and this guy oh, made God. this comment and he said, um, and this is this is this goes back, this is like a decade ago now. Uh, when uh, when you could comment on reviews, which all which was also like something that authors should never do. I was going to say, who came up with that plan? That's bad plan because, because battles ensue. Right. And it's, it's so silly. So what happens though, is I read this review and and the guy says, literally, he said, this book was not worth the paper it was printed on. So I of course get that pit feeling in my stomach and, and kind of like, I've just been punched and I go like, but wait a minute, wait a minute, let me think about this. And I immediately came up with a movie that I pretty much hated that Richard and I, my husband and I walked out on and it was called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh And um, very good movie. I think it was actually nominated for an It got a bunch of Oscars for cinematography. Yeah, I walked out on it. So I I said, now, sometimes there's just art that's not for people, Andrea. And and this is like the moment where you learn not to take things personally. Mm -hmm. So I decided to reply to this person. And I said, you know what, I get it. Listen, I appreciate you reading. And, and by the way, I walked out of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I thought it was a horrible movie. And it got Oscar nominations and people people loved it. And I'm sure it's a lot of people's favorite movie. So sometimes it's just not for somebody. Sometimes it's just not for you. It's just not for you. And so in order to, I think, 
where I've come, and I did a lot, I had to do a lot of work on this because I'm a pathological people pleaser. Um, and I read a book called The Four Agreements, which really changed oh, my life. I love The Four Agreements. Yes, you read that. I read that a decade ago as well. So I'm doing, as I'm, as I replied to him, uh, I'm just very, very kind about it. Now, the weird, crazy thing, and I didn't expect a response, but this person actually responded to my comment a couple weeks later and said, you know, I went back and reread the book and I'm changing my review to four stars. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> so I wasn't... I was. I didn't do it for that. I didn't do it for that. But hey, you, know, but you brought it back. Brought it back. But that's the kind of the, that's the funny thing is that when we take good comments and when we take praise, we also have to be open to the criticism. But the truth is, is that neither one matters. Yeah. When people say you're wonderful, that doesn't matter. When they say you're horrible, that doesn't matter because it's all about them. It's all about their beliefs, their opinions, how they were yeah. raised, blah, 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 um, their culture, their attitudes, all of that. All we can do, I think, is appreciate that they get to have an opinion and yeah. then walk away. Yeah. And realize that if they have an opinion, it's because we successfully put ourselves out there. Mm, that too. And we've got to be giving ourselves credit for putting ourselves out there Absolutely. because Annie, there's people, there are people who come up with that brilliant idea. They, they go to post on Instagram and then they say, nah, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it because I don't want people to think this, or I don't want somebody to think that or whatever. Right. And so every time you create something or put yourself out there, it's, uh, it's a great thing, but you also expose yourself to crickets and worse, mm -hmm. a negative comment. Somebody saying this is the stupidest quote, stupidest idea I've ever read. <laughs> Again, that's that's on them. Right. Yeah. That's all. That's them. I mean, and that's that's the other thing. You could always tell when somebody that one star or something is just having a bad day. <laughs> like I saw a Yelp review once somebody one star at a restaurant because they got broken up with at the restaurant. And we're oh like, gosh. and the waiter didn't even bring me anything to like make me feel better. I'm like, what were you expecting? A free dessert for getting dumped? Like, honey, you're just having a bad day. Don't blame it on the big ZD. Like, come on. Like, you're not getting dumped because of the ambiance of a restaurant. You're getting dumped because apparently you're the kind of person who complains about everything. Yeah, um, you get cake. You get cake for anniversaries and birthdays, not right? for breakups. Not for getting dumped. Come on. Yeah. Come on. All right. Well, I also brought you here uh, for, I was going to say false pretenses, but I told you, so it's not false pretenses at all. I brought you here today also to talk about one of my lifelong favorite movies that I just absolutely adore, but had completely forgotten about how much I love it until you brought it up to me. And I am talking, of course, about Cuba Gooding Jr., Jerry Maguire, uh... Tom Cruise's ridiculous wonderfulness, Renee Zellweger being adorable, the movie that introduced little Jonathan Lipnicki, and the the tidbit that the human head weighs eight pounds. Andrea, what does any of this have to do with Jerry Maguire? Well, I love Jerry Maguire because that was, that came out, I think, around the same time that my husband and I launched our business. And I just completely related to the character when he's walking <laughs> out of the company fish. with the goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that the fish have manners, right? Yeah. <laughs> these, these because fish. 
have integrity. Have, These fish say, have manners, right? Like, yes, oh they, God, yes. Those fish will not screw anyone over like no. the people in the company. But no. him walking out, which is kind of what we did. We, we, you know, said, Hey, we need to, we need to quit. We're never going to, it's never going to be the right time. And we're never going to be able to do what we want to do employed. Like we can only work, you can only work at night and on weekends for so long. Right. So we knew that, Hey, we needed to be free. So that really resonated with mm. my story personally. And then when he does do that and meets with such failure, my favorite favorite line of the whole movie is when he's complaining to Cuba Gooding Jr. that mm-hmm. he's cloaked in failure. Yep. And it's yep. just, and it's so funny because you do get to a point many times in your business where that's what you feel like. You're just yep. cloaked in failure. And there's, and it's so exciting and the ups and downs of that movie the highs and lows oh god they're so big there's so many and he's leaving he's leaving um meeting with the football player's father and tom petty comes on and he's singing and he's like just at the high of highs because he's thinks he's closed this deal and of course later it falls apart there's so many analogies to like what i've experienced in business and in life you don't have to have your own business to appreciate Jerry Maguire, but I think it helps. Uh, it does. I think it does help totally because one of the things, and I and it came out long before I had a business or even had an idea of of when I would have a business. But when I watch it now, or when I think about it now, I think for me about that client relationship, right? So, like you brought up, I think his name was Cush, like Cushman and his yes. dad, and. And, you know, his dad being like, my word is as strong as oak and him being like, yes. And then like the best use of Tom Petty ever and like all of these things. And then he gets betrayed. And I think so many of us feel like the distance between a no and a betrayal are are inches when really there are miles apart, right? Like mm. a client can go, you know, I don't think I'm going to reenlist right now. I wish I could, but I don't have the money. That feels infinitely different than I'm going to go to your, you know, that horrible, slimy, skeezy agent after giving you my word and telling you it's as strong as oak, right? But, but I think for me, it's all about that idea of like, I love this client. I want to show up for this client. This client has the potential to hurt me. It's an intimate relationship relationship how how do we protect ourselves how do we boundary that intimacy in that client relationship how do we not how do we wind up like jerry and rod and not like jerry and kush Mm, right um that's a good question i the answer uh to that is i have no idea (laughs) because no because i think um you do the best you can in terms of detaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point, especially if you're working, um, and I'm not a per- like I'm not a coach per se. I don't work deeply long term with clients where I I get really involved in their business and in their lives. And mm-hmm. if I did, um, I would really have to work on detachment. Um, as it is, I kind of have to work on detachment with my husband and business partner because yeah. I kind of have to just say, you know what whatever he wants to do um, and kind of let him do the things he wants to do. And he lets me, you, you almost have to let people um, fail if they want, if they're, if they're um, absolutely set on doing something. Um, but always knowing that 
that you're you have somebody in your corner and that they're there for you. I think that was the biggest message that I got from that. And that can be something that you can do while also kind of remaining detached to let that person make their own choices. I love that because you know, we talked about like validation and whether or not it matters or like all of these different things and and I think thinking about Jerry Maguire there's there's a scene where after Rod has this big gorgeous wonderful transformative moment he starts thanking all the people in his life and he calls out for Jerry and I think I think there are two kinds of people and I don't think either one is bad and I think we all are them at one point or another it's like do we want to be the person being interviewed about our accomplishments or do we want to be the person that they call out and thank mm. and I think most of the time I want to be the person that gets called out and thanked but even that is dangerous where I'm like hey I don't want to make your moment about me but it would be nice to be acknowledged in this moment just a little bit. Yes. <laughs> that's a great that, that, that's a great point. And um and I never really thought about that so much. Um, but that really is, I mean, that's the when I think about Jerry Maguire, I think of two big themes. It's to me, it's failure and success, and it's love. I mean, mm-hmm. those oh, uh, love yeah. slash friendship. Yes. And that love. really is where the friendship and love part comes in. Absolutely. I mean, that idea of completion, right? The most famous line from Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Yes. Right? At, or show me the money. I think that's kind of a toss up on which is the more famous. But I think <laughs> the one that like, just like how, like, you know, um, friends thrust the Rachel upon us. I feel like one day you complete me was nowhere. And then the next day you complete me it was everywhere. Um, but I feel like, you know, there are aspects of us that, that allow others to soar and there are aspects of them that allow us to soar. And, and I think especially those relationships, the real ones become so much more (sighs) critical in terms of the people that are going to pick you back up in between rejections. You got to pick yourself up. But the people that are going to go, come on, you'll get the next one. Just like Renee Zellweger, adorable character, did the whole time when he was losing one client after another. She was going, this is bad, but let's keep the faith. Let's go out and get more. And and we do need those people. Absolutely. And the other kind of theme to that is that it took a while for both Jerry and Rod, the characters, to trust each other. Yes. And to eventually get to the point where they were telling each other the truth. Yes. And they, they, you see them have some conversations about, yes. you know, about the, about what's true. And, uh, that's oh, they powerful call too. each other on their shit. Oh, they do. They do. Oh, they call each other on their shit. I feel like the movie also introduced me to Regina King, who is so good at calling everybody on their shit. Like I would pay Regina King to call me on my shit. So yes, there is also an element of like, listen, I'm going to help you pick yourself up, but maybe you're getting rejected a ton because you're being an asshole. Right. I love you, but like you're kind of a jerk right now. Like that, that happens too. That idea of like, okay. I can want the best for you. And I can also tell you in the next moment that you're not living up to your potential. And and I want those things to be heard, right? I think similarly with a client, if a client is not rising to the potential that they want, 
right? If if somebody tells me signing up for your program is going to be the most important thing I do all year and then they don't come to class, mm. do I do I let that slide? Do I let that sit? Or do I try to say, hey, by the way, you told me that this was really important and I don't see you. I'm not trying to guilt you, but I'm trying to call it out. Like, how do we, yeah. how do we open ourselves up for the little nose of criticism? Hmm. Yeah. I, again, we can't be so attached to praise mm-hmm. because the more attached we are to praise, the more attached we get to criticism and let that define us. So I think you have to always put it back on the other person of, of and it's their right to criticize. And it's also their right to, to say, um, you know, to praise you, but that ultimately that's on them. And so that detachment, I think becomes really important. You know, yeah. there's, it's, it's what you're talking about too, I think is really tough because you know, there's fine lines to walk. You want to be compassionate, but you also have to be an advocate. And I think that is true in sales, Ooh. right? I talk all the time about how how you sometimes have to push people off the fence of indecision. That yes. they, it, it's it's like when you're shopping with your mom and she's like, I don't know, it's too expensive. I don't think I should get it. And you're like, mom, you're like, just, please just buy it. Come on. Like, don't be ridiculous. Treat yourself. Well, in this case, oftentimes it's, well, don't treat yourself. It's, you need this. You deserve it. You, you actually need to do this. And it's helpful to have those people in our lives. Ugh, and push people off the fence of indecision. Because, yeah, that's the thing. It's indecision accomplishes nothing. It's the procrastination of thinking. And literally, I love that you gave us that visual of sitting on the fence. Because really, you are. Right. You're just biding your time, thinking up a tornado of nothingness, waiting <laughs> for someone to push you. Well, sometimes you got to be the one that comes over and pushes. And sometimes you got to be the one who pushes, even if you know they're going to say no. Again, sometimes you disqualify them. Can I write down tornado of nothingness and steal it? Yeah. (laughs) Because that's so good. (laughs) Permission granted. Thank you. Um, There's some other things. I'm going to have to go back through this, through what we (laughs) talked about, because there was two or three other things I didn't jot down. But Oh, my gosh. Well, I jotted down a ton of stuff that you said because, my God, I love it. I think it's so interesting, too, about, like, if we're we're looking at Jerry Maguire as, as a movie about detachment, we're watching Jerry detach from his expectations of who he's supposed to be, from yes. status, from power, from wealth, um, from fame, right? We're watching Rod detach from ego. Mm-hmm. We're watching, you know, everybody sort of detach from their expectations that weren't communicated properly. We're watching, you know, the fish detach from the tank. <laughs> But but is there anything else in that idea, especially like in the in the main central relationship, right? Because they do not come together like glue and stick. They stick and detach and stick and detach mm-hmm. and stick and detach until it finally works and works well. How is are, are there any other tucked in lessons in Jerry Maguire about keeping ourselves safe while putting ourselves out there or 
not leaning so much into who we think we should be? Like, is there anything we haven't touched on yet? I think the big word I would say is risk. And so much of it, so much of that movie is about, is about risk. It's, as you said, they detach from a lot and um, not intentionally, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jerry Maguire was not, like, he was a guy that absolutely wanted to maintain the status quo, except for everything that happened. And and for his, um, actually, it started with him writing the uh the mission statement yeah <laughs> the, the memo right it was a mission statement it was a mission it was statement a, right right i got yeah. your memo oh my yes. god yes talk about something that makes me anxious to watch back as an adult for those of you who don't remember one of like the big catalyst of the movie is that jerry stays up all night and writes this manifesto mission statement memo Yes. About what the industry and the client relationship should be. And then for God knows what reason, he goes and he puts them all in every single mailbox. Because at that point, they're in an office for every single person in the company. And then everyone's like, I got your memo, Jerry. And he's like, it's a mission statement. (laughs) Right. So like I talk about ballsy. Yes. And that was the beginning that that so that professional risk, which Mm -hmm. he did for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, And I think there was I think there was something that he saw. I think he saw like an agent. I I think there was like a little thing where he watched an agent hug a player or something. And he was like, wow, that's how that's, you know, that's That's what it should be. That's what it should be. So he writes his mission statement. So he has that risk. He also has the the personal risk. And then he has the risk of leaving and going out on his own. And it's just, it's constant risk. And so for me, um, that was one of the things I loved was I just loved the fact that it was about somebody who was, who just, whose life was basically kind of blowing up in part for something that he did, but then kind of, there was other things out of his control but just that idea of of that risk and it when i watched that movie i just felt like yes this is what life should be it should be interesting we should blow things up more and sometimes yeah. you know, and be and be willing to take those professional risks because in the end you look and you you say like so much happened to him because of that and was it worth it Right. And I think, well, I mean, if you look at it by the metrics, I'm so glad you brought this up, because if you look at this by the metrics, he lost everything because of that memo, except the thing that mattered was one person in the office liked the memo. One, one person. And she didn't just like it. She loved it enough to explode her own life. Yes. And then they wind up being the central couple and being together and launching the company together and everything else. But like everybody thought Jerry's memo was stupid except Dorothy Boyd. Right. And she loved it so hard that she blew up her life. I think there's a lesson there about me and my Instagramming of like, I didn't get any comments. Okay, I got one comment. And the one comment I got was really deep and meaningful. Instead of saying I didn't get enough comments, why don't I focus on the one person that reached back out to me? And and yeah. That's a great takeaway. That's a, that's such a great point. And, you know, it. you don't know who's watching and you don't know who you're inspiring mm-hmm. out there who just, mm-hmm. if we know there are so many just stalkers and, and people, oh, yeah. people who aren't out there taking risks. So that movie is, um, t- 
to me, it's, I think I said what success, failure, love, and so let's add risk to the list. Yes, absolutely. The so beauty have- of risk. Oh my God, the beauty of risk. Oh, there's your next book title. Oh my gosh. Right, that, you're yeah. right, you're right. You're right. Risk. Okay, Go I'm buy that down, domain name. Oh my God, that just leads <laughs> me to my next question. Okay, so here's your goofy okay. question. You ready? Okay. So you brought up Jerry writing his memo at like three in the morning. And then as we could just, uh, as we just experienced live in real time, uh, when I get excited about something, my first thought is go buy that domain name because that's what I do a lot of at three in the morning is buying domain names. Sure. Um, so you're up on your business, having a Jerry Maguire productivity fit at three o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? And how are you going to share that memo? Oh, I know exactly what I'm doing. So, and I've been doing it now for almost 12 months. So I have become really kind of addicted to writing on Quora and answering Ooh. questions. And I have I think I met about 255 answers and they're answers to questions, all kinds of questions that I just basically love to get my, give my opinion on. And it would be some random question. I'll be like, um, I'm 23 years old. My girlfriend just left me. Um, I don't have a job. Um, I think my life is over. What should I do? And I'm like, yes, I can answer this question. You're like, here we go. <laughs> and I love it. I love this question. So at, or it'll be something like, um, what's the most important thing? What's, what's one like piece of counterintuitive self-development advice um, that you would give? Or um, what's like the one thing that you didn't think would happen when you got older uh, but it happened, you know, just all mm-hmm. kinds of these really fun, interesting questions. So if it's three in the morning, I will be answering some weird, random question <laughs> on, on Cora. And my husband, will, he'll come in and he'll be like, are you writing on Cora? Cause I'm, I need yeah. to actually be working to actually be bringing in money. And I'm like, yeah. I'm maybe I might be. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they always know what we're actually up to. Yes. So other than going and finding all of your fabulous answers on Quora, what is the best way for our listeners to come into your world and to start a conversation with you? So I love Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, I mean, I should say a lot every day for sure. Um, Instagram, not as much, but I'm at go for no. There you um, go. G-O-F-O-F-O-R-N-O. So find me on Twitter. Send me a tweet. That'll get Ooh. my attention. I think you're the first person to say, send me a tweet. And I'm into that plan. I am into that plan. Okay. So everybody get out there and tweet. Is And it's just at go for no on yep. Twitter. Yep. Ah, all right, everybody. Well, get out there, tweet to Andrea and let her know what risk you're going to take. Or if you find a good core question, definitely let her know that because oh, yeah. uh, it's three in the morning and somebody needs to get some answers. Andrea, it has been such a delight having you here today. Thank you so much for being with me. And I hope that this episode shows us both the money. Thanks, Annie. I love it, guys. Sometimes my transitions work so well, and sometimes they really don't. So while you chew on the legitimacy of that joke, I'll be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week. No more puns, I promise. Well, hey there, listeners. 
Okay, deep breaths. I'll be right next to you chasing my own nose. We are in this together. But since I just shoved us off the cliff into the rejection ravine, I can think of no better time to share my five-point action plan for when you get a no, a not now, or a maybe. And remember, these are the clients you want, not the no's that you have disqualified. Your homework this week is to put this five-point plan into practice. But if you don't hear a no this week, your job is to go back, listen to this episode again, get out there, and risk something. So here's the plan. Number one, handle objections in the moment and emotions attached to those objections with grace and empathy. Most sales training will teach you to argue objections, but I say lean in. You don't have to validate it if you don't agree, but understand that objections are valid to the person you're talking to, and making the objection invalid makes the person feel stupid or less than. And that's manipulation that will not get you anywhere. It may get you a quick sale, but it will not get you an ongoing relationship and a stellar reputation. Number two, involve their other deciders by enlisting them as allies and be available to them. Talk to their husbands, talk to their wives, talk to their kids and their bosses. If you can't talk to them in person or on the phone, send documentation. Maybe their boss really just wants that sexy slide deck you have laying around. But how can we work with them to get their deciders on board? Number three, my absolute favorite, and my clients will tell you I recommend this over and over and over over. Give them concrete homework that will get them moving. Your most dedicated prospects will take that homework seriously and implement it as soon as possible. And then guess what? That's where the magic happens. They do the homework. Things start to get better. When they start to get better, that's called proof, not just social proof, personal proof that you know what you're doing. And then when you've made that change with them and for them, they become loyal. They come back to you. Now, sometimes you're just too far apart and this person should not be a client right now, or maybe they'll never be able to afford you. But if you give homework or a resource that gets them moving, it emboldens them and makes it much more likely that they will become a brand evangelist for you. It creates a beautiful impression from which you can get referrals and testimonials. That's right, from people who don't even hire you. You cannot do that if you just slam the door when you realize you're not going to get the sale. It's the same principle as if you love something, let it go. Give them that homework, watch them shine, watch them run back. Next, and this is important, when you give them that homework, what I want you to do is tell them when you're going to follow up with them. Then you send an email that says, another phrase I love, as promised, I'm following up. How did your homework go? Now, the easiest way to do that and be able to do it with specifics is remember to write down what homework you gave, because it's one thing to say, how is your homework going? And it's an entirely other thing to say, did you email those 12 people we talked about? Finally, stay top of mind in between homework and after the follow-up in a human way. Do not spam the death out of them people, but treat your prospects like a friend. 
Not your best friend from high school in an MLM style either. Follow up. Check in. Send them little notes on social media. If you don't have them on your socials yet, go and add them. Like their pages, comment on their stuff, and do it genuinely. If you're not sure where the barrier is, ask, am I posting this so that they hire me, or am I posting this because I'm genuinely enthusiastically excited for them, right? Or are you posting this because you have news to share or something to promote? Or are you posting this because you have feedback or encouragement to share? That's how you'll know you're not being just another jerk on social media. If you stay top of mind in a human way, you can watch the beautiful, amazing things that knows, maybes, and not nows might become down the road. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the non sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio and my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.